presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. When I uh, asked Carrie what uh, you guys have uh, been speaking about over the last little bit, she said you're talking about rest, and I think that's a very important topic, uh, especially these days. Uh, how, many, how many people are busy? Right, like we're just like always busy. I saw a Bluey cartoon the other day. That's one of the you know Bluey the little kids cartoon. I got grandchildren now, so I'm in that. Right? Oh, you got a few Bluey fans. Oh, good. Salute. We uh, one of the little Bluey kids was saying to the other Bluey kid, uh, being a grown up is about saying to each other. Things will eventually slow down until one day you die. <laughs> so that's really that's a, a really philosophical. I think that right now that a lot of people feel just sort of emotionally exhausted. They feel tired. They feel like um, you know that it's it, there's just like never enough. It's it doesn't matter what your what your thing is. It's just never enough. Some people say it's because of the internet. You know we. You know, you used to think you're doing okay, but now every five seconds you can tune into Facebook or Instagram and somebody else is doing better. And of course, they're only reporting the awesome things in their lives. They're not reporting the things that are ordinary, like your life. So you always feel inadequate, right? I feel, I feel sorry for moms these days. My, my uh, oldest daughter, Charlotte,'s got two little kids now, and she, all her cohort of moms just always feel compared to other moms. And then, of course, their children are being compared by other children. Now, of course, my grandchildren are perfect, so they set the standard. Uh, no, just, just kidding. Isn't it kind of strange, though? But I think even, like even among men, ang- you know, anxiety in our culture is just climbing and climbing and climbing. And people feel constantly that they are inadequate, that they, they haven't achieved enough, that they can't do enough. Even I, I just I just was at a pastor's conference this last week, and um, you would think that pastors are super holy and together, but you know when you when you walk around to other pastors and you say how you doing, you get two things. You get lies. <laughs> the lies about oh it's amazing it's awesome it's great. I'm thinking I've been asking you that question for 20 years every time I see you, and it's never better than before. So why is it never different? But it's always awesome. It's amazing. Great things are happening. It's so fantastic. I'm doing amazing. Then you hear during the week that they were depressed. So people lie, right? But then the other thing you hear is when it actually is really good somewhere else, what happens to you? Well, then you start feeling like you're a loser. Well, why isn't that happening in my church? You know, why am I seeing the miracles? Why am I seeing these deliverances? Why have I got 14 interns working in my church? Isn't it weird how this stuff gets to you? That you kind of feel like you're not enough? And then what happens to you? What stirs up inside of you when, when you hear about what you could be? You know, I think that this, this is a human problem that Jesus wants to heal. And do you know how Jesus heals it? He becomes our burden bearer. He wants to take on the weight of expectation. He wants to take on the weight of performance. He wants to take on the weight of trouble. He wants to take on the weight of 
the welfare of our family and our children and our, and our needs in the future. Jesus wants to take on the weight of it. We're going to look at that scripture in Matthew chapter 11 in a second. But if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read to you a scripture that you may have heard. You probably heard it several times. But I'm going to really, really guess this one. And I think I'm going to be right. I don't think you know its context. Hebrews chapter 4 is the verse that people quote about the Bible, about how the Bible, the God's word, is working all of the time, and how the Bible is not just the testimony of God, but the active power of God at work. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged swords. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do you know what I think that we need? We need voice. We need tone when we read the Bible. Because sometimes a lot of the intention of, of what you're saying is found in your tone, right? So, like, if I read this same last scripture to you, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom you must give account. Doesn't that feel scary? Doesn't that feel, like, nasty? It feels like... But that whole passage there, it talks about that. The amazing thing about God's word is that it knows stuff about you. It's, and it's alive. And it can do stuff about you. But most of the time, and I've got to say for most of my Christian life, I've really struggled to understand what that verse means. Because that, that verse speaks in a tone that I hear through a religious hearing aid. Do you know what hearing aids are? They pick up noises and then transmit them into your inner ear. My mom's got hearing aids. And uh, my, my dad passed away last February. And uh, my mom has a, a so in Canada, you drive on the other side of the car, right? So this is, do you know I'm Canadian? Sorry, I should have said that earlier. In Canada, you drive on the other side of the car, which means that my mom's deaf ear was always towards my dad. So, so she, would, she had a hearing. Now, she, her ear on the left-hand side is completely... Uh, it, it didn't matter if you put a hearing aid there. It ain't going to work, right? The, the, the eardrum is punctured. There's nothing functional there. So you put a hearing in nothing. So my mom and dad used to argue constantly because... He would be, he's a, he was a very impatient man, um, and he would get super upset if my mom couldn't drive properly, because my dad was older and he couldn't drive anymore, he felt bad about that, so he, he, he covered that by being just grumpy. Because <laughs> anger and grumpy go together, you know that? It's sort of if you're angry, you probably just, you know, probably get grumpy. So he would just get grumpy all the time, and my mom would just kind of drive along. Of course, she can't hear how grumpy he is, because she doesn't want to hear how grumpy he is about what she's getting wrong while she's driving yet again. But then, of course, once, once he passed away and he, he, he left lots of money for her for her to be well, and 
So we said to her, Mom, you've got to get your other hearing aid in because we're all sitting on the other side of you too and we can't communicate to you. So my brother, my sister, and I, we were just like, Mom, take the money and get... Do you know you can get a hearing aid to go in the ear that doesn't work that sends a signal to the ear that does work? I thought, oh, that's really great. I was like, Mom, get it! It's like 7000 bucks, which, you know, that's a lot, but she can afford it. So I'm like, so she, she goes and gets it and it... So what it does is it picks up stuff that she would have no idea and transmits it into her earring. And she can answer her phone on it now, too. And she can listen to the TV on it, too. Oh, this is really fantastic. You know that, that God's, God's word is speaking to you, but you might have the wrong hearing aids in. And you hear everything in the wrong tone of voice. For, for example, I think this verse is actually one of those verses that people hear wrong. Because when you hear God's word is living and active, and it can pierce right into your thought life. Not just thought life, your emotional life inside. It can pierce to the depths of what's really going on there. You know those places where you keep those secrets and nobody else knows them, and sometimes you talk about them to yourself honestly, but most of the time you try to avoid them because they're so embarrassing and so shameful? God knows those. So most of the time when people read this passage, that's what they're hearing. They're hearing, well, my, uh, my daughter has a, bought a house. My other daughter got married and bought a house, and and the house had a leaky um, shower, like the tiles were leaking, and I can, I can repair things. But I really wanted to know how bad the wall was because it had been leaking for years and there was water built up in the wall, so I bought a little piece of equipment that I could jab into the wall that would tell me how much moisture is in the wall. Well, that's very handy, isn't it? Well, people treat the Word of God like something that jabs into you to to measure how good you are. Not loving enough. Too worried. Underperforming. Because most people listen to the word of God through their religious hearing aid. And a religion means that you're working for something. You're trying to perform. You're trying to accomplish something for God. I, last night, I was at a wedding. Uh, the reason I had to, we had to drive up this morning is because we were at a wedding yesterday and ended all up too late to drive last night, so we came up this morning. And at the wedding, you know, you have those wedding conversations around the reception tables, and you're just like, oh, God, please make sure this isn't boring. Because if you're locked into somebody for three hours and they've got some, you know, they love fidget spinners or, I don't know, bluey, and you're just, you just don't want to talk about that, or maybe even worse, they've got nothing to say, and so you just stare, you read the menu about 40 times, you know what I'm talking about, and you've you got to listen to the speeches, it's horrible. So anyway, we were stationed next to this guy last night, and he's, uh, uh, so, so you'll probably never meet him or hear from him, I'll, I'll just, <clears throat> I'll be quite honest with you. He was a, let's just say he was a very successful Greek businessman. And happy to show you, by which he was displayed with many gold rings and many gold chains. His hair was 
very darkly colored. <laughs> I'm assuming, not natural. <clears throat> and what he wanted to do was he wanted to tell me what was wrong with the world. So Jody and I were having a lovely conversation with him where he was getting feisty about what is wrong with the planet, especially Americans, by the way, which I felt safe because I'm Canadian, right? <clears throat> but by the way, Canadians are allowed to insult Americans at any time, at any point. It's part of our entitlement. That's why God put us on top of the Americans <laughs> on the map so that we could call them Upper Mexicans and mock them. <clears throat> Sorry, anyway, where was, where was I? But his basic idea is this, that the reason that there's, everything's wrong with the world is because people don't try hard enough. They don't work hard enough. Because if people tried hard enough and tried to be good and tried and worked hard and engaged and put in effort, then they would be good people. And so as we went on in the conversation, he kept talking about how bad everyone was. And I said to him several times, do you think that they're bad because they want to be bad? Do you think that there's something wrong with them? If everybody's bad, do you think there's something wrong with people? And he just kept going back to this idea that if people were just going to be good, they would just have to try harder. And then he said to me, which I love, he said, and that all religions say the same thing. All religions are the same. And I thought, okay, let's go with that one. So he said to me, he said, you know, whether it's Christians or Muslims or Buddhists, it's all basically the same thing. It's all the same God. Everyone just has to try to be good. I'm like, oh, really? I said, I said, the God you just described is not a God I'm familiar with. I said, just because they all use the same word God does not mean they're all talking about the same person, does it? Because if I said to you, I met this guy last night at a wedding, and he was 10 foot 6 and had long blonde hair, you would never think that I was talking about you because he was about 5 foot 4 and had really black hair. Just because you use the word does not mean you're talking about the same being. And people think, people think and people believe that what God is like is he is constantly asking you or demanding that you be better. He's constantly saying, try harder, try harder, try harder. One time I was in, uh, in Bali and... Um, the taxi driver and I were having a great conversation. Like when you get taxi drivers all over the time over there, and you just, I would try to build a relationship with them because sometimes we hire them for like the whole day because it's super cheap. And anyway, by the end of the day, we were finally getting to that point where we we're talking about faith and family and life. And I'm like, yes, we're finally there. And I, I noticed he had the, a Hindu god on his thing. And I said, you're a Hindu person? Yeah, you're a Hindu person. And he said, he said, but they're basically all the same. I was like, ah. Oh. I love it. <laughs> Say that to me again. They're basically all the same. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, like you're Christian, and Christian, the Christian God basically wants everybody to be good people and to work hard and try to be good people. The Muslim God, the same God, and the Hindu God, just be good people. It's all the same thing. I said, interesting. I said, do you believe in karma? He said, yeah, of course I believe in karma. I'm a Hindu. <laughs> if you don't know... Buddhists and Hindus believe in this idea that there is a, a force, either manipulated by God himself or just a power, called karma that makes sure that if a person is bad, that they get punished for it. 
And if a person is good, then they get rewarded for it. That's karma. And uh, a, a Buddhist will believe that you may not get it rewarded or punished in this life, but you'll get it in the next one. You know, like you're going to get it when your dad gets home kind of stuff. So I'm going to chase you past the grave. You're going you're gonna to cop your karma eventually. I said, oh, interesting. I said, okay, interesting. So, so you believe in karma, do you? And I said, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, we just had a worldwide pandemic. Did you struggle here in Bali? And of course, as a tourist country, they were all very devastated through it. They had no tourism, no Aussies drinking bintangs going through the country. It was an economically a nightmare for them. And I said to him, okay, so we had this pandemic and it just went through the whole country. Did only good people suffer? I mean, sorry, did only, good, only bad people suffer from the pandemic or was it good and bad? He said, yeah, good and bad. I said, so a bunch of bad things happened to good people, did it? Well, yeah. And I said, so you believe in karma, do you? He's like, well, I said, I'll tell you the difference between Christianity and Hinduism. We believe that God gives good things to bad people. So your whole thing about God only rewards the good and he only punishes the bad, it's opposite. <laughs> it's reverse in my land. Because I believe that I was so, so terrible that God sent his son to die for me. He did the most amount of good for the very worst person he could find. Does that sound like karma to you? And then it was, I was really messing with his head then. <laughs> he was still driving us and we wanted to keep that safe. So I just let it sit there for a while. But you could tell his churning is going on because I was wrecking his worldview. He'd been living a certain way, which is try hard and you'll get better try hard, you'll get blessed. But I, I want to guess this. I'll bet you have a little bit of an instinct like that too. Try harder, my life will get better. And listen, you know that those sins and those weaknesses that you have? Anxieties, fears, disobedience, all of those little things? I'll bet you say to yourself, if I just tried harder, I would get better. If I just put in more effort, if I just read more, if I just prayed more, if I just studied more, if I just resisted more, if I just worked harder, I would have more. And the reason that I'm struggling and suffering is because I haven't done enough to fix it. See, that's religion. And we think that when God says to us, the word of God is going to come and it's going to peer into your innermost being and you know what it's going to find? It's going to find you are not enough. And I want to tell you, that is not what that passage says. Because it's in a context. It's got a... You know, context is everything. If I shouted out the number 45, does that mean anything? It only means something in your context. It's how old Caleb is, Right? It is. Oh, okay, I guessed it. <laughs> I was thinking on the way up. What was I going to say? 45. Okay. But if I said that it was a Celsius temperature, it's a totally different thing. 45 years old is not that bad. 45 degrees Celsius is hot. I'm not saying you're not hot. 
but I'm not into that. You see, context is everything. If God was going to write to you, I have a written word that's alive, and it's going to look inside of you, but you feel that it's some sort of threatening knife, you're going to walk away from it. But it's not. Should we read the other verses that go around it? In fact, most people should read all the verses together. See, if you look back in Hebrews chapter 4 and you start in verse, uh, let's just pick, verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of it in another day later on. And so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, who for, who, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Therefore, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active. What? How do we get talking about the word of God? Because the word of God declares to you that there is a rest for your soul. Now, he uses a picture. He uses the picture of the early time for the Israelites. When they were, when they were leaving Egypt, where, what happened in Egypt? What did they have to do day after day, night after night, year after year? What did they have to do in Egypt? They had to work. They were slaves. They had to constantly do something to gain something. And he said, I'm going to take you out of that area, and I'm going to take you into a promised land, a land of promise, and I'm going to give you rest there. But he didn't stop talking about rest. You see, Joshua led them, not Moses, not, not the one who taught the law, but Joshua brought them across the Jordan River and took them into the promised land, but they didn't enter into rest. Now, why didn't they enter into rest? Why did they constantly have to work and fight off enemies and and and? and be constantly alert to try to be holy and try to be good because they hadn't entered into the promise. They were under the law. They hadn't entered into the promise. But then he says, there is a rest at a later date. And this one's promised in the book of Psalms where there is a rest for God's people that is not the rest of the promised land, but a rest that is in Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ has done, listen, Jesus Christ has done everything that is required for you to be perfect. When? Today. In the moment you ask Jesus Christ into your life, you take on his perfection. You take on his personhood. You take on his righteousness. You become like him. Because the invitation of Christ is the invitation of all of Christ to you. And you enter into a position where you never have to perform for God again. There's never a day, never a day where you are inadequate. You know, when um, my daughter, Charlotte, she preached in uh, our church a couple months back on rest. And she brought up this really important um, thing. She said that... All the people who go on Oprah Winfrey, remember the Oprah Winfrey show, right? You get a car, you get a car, that thing. Said, these, these guests that would come on to Oprah were sometimes presidents of the United States. 
Sometimes they were like industry leaders. Sometimes they're the most famous actors. Sometimes these are people who everyone would say, you are successful. You know the most common thing that people said to Oprah as soon as the camera stopped record, recording? Was that okay? Did I do good? Do you know inside of you is that question, am I okay? Did I do good? And the weight of it is on you all of the time, and that's why you can't rest. Because you keep thinking that you're the one who has to accomplish things. And the scriptures, this, this thing that measures, this, that jabs into you, do you know what it's looking for? Do you know I don't jab this thing into a wall to see if there's bricks in there? When I had a moisture meter, I was looking for moisture. And when God's word, living and active, jabs into you, you know what it's looking for? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what you're supposed to be seeing. That's the deep thing. That's the thing that's inside of you that makes all of the difference. It's if Jesus Christ is in you, you are adequate. You've got, you've kicked all the goals. You've won all the grand finals. You've got 10 out of 10. You've aced all the things. When you walk into heaven, God says, well done. But it's not because of you. It's because Jesus cheated your scores. <laughs> because Jesus wants to care for you completely so that you can lay down your efforts and relax. Now, of course, does that mean you're going to be lazy? Of course not. Anyone who's ever met anyone that loves them, loves them in return, right? You don't just, you go, oh, well, it's all fine. Then I'm just going to be a goofball and go do dumb things. No, of course not. As soon as you know you're loved, what do you do? You love back. But now you're not working for things anymore, are you? You're doing things because you feel restful. Wouldn't it be great to not have an anxious day? Wouldn't it be great to not have a day where you're worried or a day where you're ashamed or a day where you're afraid where you can actually just go, today I'm okay. Today I've got something to give. Today I can be friendly. Today I can be fun. Today I can be generous. Today I can give compliments even if I never get any because I'm okay. But you know, that passage there does not end there. Because not only did Jesus give you rest, Jesus also does something else for us. And it comes after the part about God's word being living and active. And I've taken my bookmark out in my waving around. No creature, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight. None of his creatures are hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give account. Uh-oh, are we in trouble? Verse 14, since then, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in a time of need. Um, I don't know how much you know about Old Testament priesthoods. Do you know that every, every religion in the world has priests? And, and the reason that we have priests is because the priests are supposed to do the things that God wants done. Right? Sometimes that's to get the people to do the things. So if, uh, if you're a Hindu, you have to offer sacrifices. If you're a Buddhist, you have to enter into a trance. If you're a Muslim, you have to go on a, you know, the, the holy tour to Mecca. And the priests are the ones who, who make sure that God gets what he wants because the worship has to match what the God desires. If the God wants this, then that's what the priests have to get the God. Does that make sense? Worship is priests getting from people what makes God happy. Right? So in the Old Testament, you had a, had a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was set up in such a way that there was a section of it called the Holy of Holies where nobody could go except once a year on the Day of Atonement. Now, of course, atonement means you're paying for something, right? On that Day of Atonement, the, only the high priest could enter into that holy place where there was a seat. And that seat was called the mercy seat. Now, the seat is called the ark. But it's the resting place of God. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was the commandments of Moses and the manna. Now outside of the holy place was the, the temple courts. In the temple courts there was a bread of showbread, there was a menorah, there were... Uh, places for all the different rituals. And then outside of the temple, in the, in the court grounds, there was a giant altar. And the altar is where all the sacrifices were made. Bulls, goats, um, you know, you name it. If it's got blood in it, let's get it out of it, right? Because God wants sacrifices. So they would kill, they would slaughter animals. Why? Because God demanded a blood sacrifice because... Sin can only be atoned by a blood sacrifice. Do you know that? So when you're guilty, the people of Israel were guilty. What do you got to do? Well, you're going to have to buy a ram. Pretty expensive because you really dropped it this time, buddy. You're in big trouble. So you better get yourself a really nice ram. And then you're going to bring it up here. And this guy in the robe is going to kill it for you. And then he's going to go and take some of that blood and splash it on the altar. Not the inner one. That's only once a year. And to get there once a year, the high priest, only the high priest, not these other numbskulls. No, no. The guy with the hat and the vest, he would have to get the special blood on his ears, his toes, and then he would go inside the Holy of Holies. You know that they were that terrified of going in there that they wore a garment that had bells on it? Do you know why? Because they thought that if you go in there and you're not holy, God will kill you. So they would tie a rope around their ankles, put bells on the rope, so that when they're in there behind the curtain, if the bells ever stop moving, we got a dead one. And then they pull on the rope and pull you back out because no one can go in and get you, right? You don't want stinky stuff in there with God. Am I making sense so far? All right, I'm a little bit mocking, but you get the thing, right? Now, here's what you're supposed to notice. Who gets to do the worship? Does the person who committed the sin do the sacrifice? No. The priest has to do it. 
right? The priests bring to God what makes God happy. So the only the priest can do it. And there's one priest, there's only one priest that can go before God once a year and satisfy God with that blood. Once a year, the blood of atonement goes on the mercy seat. The priest lays his head down in there and repents for the sins of the nation. But Mary Lou, in the women's court, is miles from that. She does not do the worship. The high priest does the worship. And so what the Bible is saying to us is this. You know how God requires things of us? Requires righteousness, requires justice, requires mercy? That merciful, wonderful worship to God is not something that you can ever get right. It's not something that you're ever going to be able to do. Plus, you don't need to. Because Jesus, the high priest, has taken his own blood into the most holy place. Not in the earthly temple, not in the tabernacle that's on earth, but the one that's in heaven because Jesus has gone through the heavens. Do you remember that verse? He goes into the heavens. He ascends into the heavens because the the tabernacle that was on earth was only ever a copy of the heavenly one. one. The copy is not as good as the original. The copy is not the place for the final atonement, not the place for the blood to be finally rested. And so Jesus dies, ascends, and goes into heaven and takes his blood and places it on God's seat. You know that Jesus is perfect? He's perfect. His worship of God satisfied God forever. No more worship was required because Jesus paid for everything and God said, I am satisfied with that. And that is your high priest. You don't need to perform for God. Jesus performed for God. Jesus did the work that was required to set us all free. So we don't have the obligation to get everything right and perfect everything. It doesn't mean that we're going to love sin because sin is just enslavement. But what it means is that the weight is lifted off us. You know how much easier it is to do things when you don't have weight on you? When you're, when you're not constantly trying to make up for things, when you, when you feel adequate and when you feel happy and when you feel free, it's so much easier to love God when you're free. And so Jesus takes the weight completely off of us. This is what Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 11. You know this verse too. Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, every other religious leader up to the time of Jesus had required things from people. You will do this. You will follow these commands. Everybody demanded. And Jesus came and said, let me do it 
for you. Let me be what you're missing. Let me be the life that you need. Let me be the forgiveness that you need. Let me be the holiness that you need. Let me be the one who is more than enough so that you can stop trying and stop worrying and stop fearing because he is enough for us. So, but he's, notice he's gentle and lowly. Exactly the same picture we get in Hebrews chapter 4, right? He understands exactly what you're going through. Um, I've got a uh, grandson that's 10 months old. He is lousy at walking. <laughs> Hopeless. He's got, a, he's got a sister, a three-year-old. She's shown him. He still can't pick it up. Parents walking around the house all of the time. He sees them. He's got two perfectly good eyes. They've set the example. Still can't do it. He's not even very good at crawling. Thinking, so I've said his name is Vladimir, which I know that name has been wrecked because of other Vladimirs, but it means ruler of peace. Just other Putins are letting him down. But sometimes I say to him, Vladimir, it's just not good enough. If you're either going to have to walk with us or stay home. If you want food, walk over here. If you want a drink, just get up, you lazy little 10-month-old. Now, of course, we don't do that, do we, right? Because I'm not an idiot, and I'm not that mean. <laughs> do you know why we don't do that? Because we know what it's like to not be able, right? We know what it's like to be in a body that doesn't work properly because it hasn't learned yet. And Jesus shared your body. He knows exactly what it's like to be you. So he's not frustrated and angry. He understands. He understands that we don't have it. Because he's been in these broken things that we call flesh. And he knows that they are inadequate to worship God. They can't be righteous. But Jesus doesn't make it that. He says, I tore open the curtain so that not just high priests get in. And I'm inviting you in to come into God's presence. And you know what his throne is now named? It's the place where you will find mercy and grace. It's the place where you always get the help that you need. You don't get the criticism. You don't get the fault finding. You don't get the, why didn't you try hard enough? You get understanding and forgiveness and help. He wants to make us different. And you know what? That's why we need the Word of God to read us, to look into us. Because you know what it's looking for? It's not looking for you to try harder. It's looking for you to know more about what Jesus has done for you. It's trying to help you find Christ. It's trying to help you see what Jesus has done for you not what you're doing for him. It's trying to help you see that you're a new creation if you know Jesus so that you can put down that weight and that I'm not good enough attitude and you can just walk up to God and say, hello, Father, I've got needs. He says, hello, son, hello, daughter, I've got it all. So I don't know where you're at today, but I tell you, my own religious hearing aid is oftentimes hearing the harsh criticism of God in the world, but that's not my father's voice. My father's voice in the word says, 
Jesus has done enough to make me happy. You rest, and as the joy emerges in your life, serve me. I don't know what you're struggling with. Could be anxiety, could be fear, could be inadequacy, could be criticism, could be complications. We're just always short. We always fall short. But Jesus wants to lift us all the way up. So this morning, as we pray together, I want you to be invited to come up, to come in, to be complete, and to put away all the worry and the fear and the work. Because he says, this is our confidence. This is our confidence that Jesus has done more than enough. And that's made me okay. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful to come here and to share the good things that you have given in your word with these people. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would make it deeply understood. Lord, I know that a lot of people here, just like me, feel, often feel feelings of inadequacy, feel anxiety, worry, stress, doubt, fear. A lot of people feel guilty and ashamed. A lot of people hide their true selves because they're worried about being rejected. A lot of people are just feeling worn out. But Lord, I know that you have all that we need there at your mercy seat. So I pray that, that you would right now encourage people to believe your word, to believe what you have said, to put their full confidence in Jesus Christ. I want you to just try to imagine with me that scene, like you rocked up, rocked up to the temple to try to atone for what you did wrong. And they stop you at the gate because they say, you're not the priest. And they take your sin offering, they take your guilt, they take your burdens, and they take it away, and they satisfy God. I want you to imagine right now that that person that met you at that gate was actually Jesus. And Jesus says to you, it's okay now. I've satisfied him. And it wasn't your sacrifice. It was mine. And he's happy to see you now and wants to help you. And so he puts the priestly robes that he wears upon you clothes you so that you look like the high priest and you enter into that holy place and there you kneel before that wonderful beautiful throne just ask you don't have to earn it you just need to ask by faith what do you need what do you need do you need peace do you need encouragement? Do you need love? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need hope? Do you need freedom? Do you need wisdom? Do you need healing? Do you need protection? Do you need guidance? Just ask. Just ask the Father. Come with 
boldness before that throne because of what Jesus has done for you. Just ask that right now in your heart. Ask what you need of the Father. Father, because Jesus has paid the price and because Jesus has done everything that I can come in, I'm here before you and I ask for these things now in his name. I pray, Lord, give me all that I need to be complete. Lift this burden from me, Lord, and give me freedom and life. Give me peace. And let me lead a, lead a life that glorifies the one who loved me so much. Pray for this now, not in my name, but I pray for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.